episode 64. I raised my hand, remembering an old campaign slogan Atticus had once told me about. What do you think it means, Jean Louise? Equal rights for all, special privileges for none, I quoted. Very good, Jean Louise, very good, Mrs. Gates smiled. In front of democracy, she printed, we are a. Now, class, say it all together. We are a democracy. We said it. Then Miss Gates said, that's the difference between America and Germany. We are a democracy, and Germany is a dictatorship. Dictatorship, she said. Over here, we don't believe in persecuting anybody. Persecution comes from people who are prejudiced. Prejudice, she enunciated carefully. There are no better people in the world than the Jews, and why Hitler doesn't think so is a mystery to me. An inquiring soul in the middle of the room said, Why don't they like the Jews, you reckon, Miss Gates? I don't know, Henry. They contribute to every society they live in, and most of all, they are a deeply religious people. Hitler's trying to do away with religion, so maybe he doesn't like them for that reason. Cecil spoke up. Well, I, I don't know for certain, he said. They're supposed to change money or something, but that ain't no cause to persecute them. They're white, ain't they? Miss Gates said. When you get to high school, Cecil, you'll learn that the Jews have been persecuted since the beginning of history, even driven out of their own country. It's one of the most terrible stories in history. Time for arithmetic, children. As I had never liked arithmetic, I spent the period looking out the window. The only time I ever saw Atticus scowl was when Elmer Davis would give us the latest on Hitler. Atticus would snap off the radio and say, I asked him once why he was so impatient with Hitler, and Atticus said, because he's a maniac. This would not do, I mused, as the class proceeded with its sums. One maniac and millions of German folks looked to me like they'd shut Hitler in a pen instead of letting him shut them up. There was something else wrong. I would ask my father about it. I did, and he said he could not possibly answer my question because he didn't know the answer. But it's okay to hate Hitler? It's not, he said. It's not okay to hate anybody. Atticus, I said, there's something I don't understand. Miss Gates said it was awful, Hitler doing like he does. She got real red in the face about it. I should think she would. But, yes. Nothing, sir. I went away. Not sure that I could explain to Atticus what was on my mind. Not sure I could clarify what was only a feeling. Perhaps Jim could provide the answer. He understood school better than Atticus. Jim was worn out from a day's water carrying. There were at least 12 banana peels on the floor by his bed, surrounding an empty milk bottle. What you stuffing for, I asked. Coach says if I can gain 25 pounds by year after next, I can play, he said. 
This is the quickest way. Well, if you don't throw it all up, Jim, I said, I want to ask you something. Shoot. He put down his book and stretched his legs. Miss Gates is a nice lady, ain't she? Why, sure, said Jim. I liked her when I was in her room. She hates Hitler a lot. What's wrong with that? Well, she went on today about how bad it was him treating the Jews like that. Jim, it's not right to persecute anybody, is it? I mean, have mean thoughts about anybody even, is it? Gracious, no, Scout. What's eating you? Well, coming out of the courthouse that night, Miss Gates was... She was going down the steps in front of us, and you, you must have not seen her. She was talking with Miss Stephanie Crawford, and I heard her say it's time somebody taught them a lesson. They were getting way above themselves, and the next thing they think they can do is marry us. Jim, how can you hate Hitler so bad and then turn around and be ugly about folks right at home? Jim was suddenly furious. He leapt off the bed, grabbed me by the collar, and shook me. I never want to hear about that courthouse again, ever, ever. You hear me? You hear me? Don't you ever say one word to me about it again, you hear? Now go on. I was too surprised to cry. I crept from Jem's room and shut the door softly, lest undue noise set him off again. Suddenly tired, I wanted Atticus. He was in the living room, and I went to him and tried to get in his lap. Atticus smiled. You're getting so big now, I'll have to just hold a part of you. He held me close. Scout, he said softly, don't let Jem get you down. He's having a rough time these days. I heard you back there. Atticus said that Jem was trying hard to forget something, but what he was really doing was storing it away for a while until enough time passed. Then he would be able to think about it and sort things out. When he was able to think about it, Jim would be himself again. Chapter 27 Things did settle down after a fashion, as Atticus said they would. By the middle of October, only two small things out of the ordinary happened to two make them citizens. Oh, no, there were three things, and they did not directly concern us, the Finches. But in a way, they did. The first thing was that Mr. Bob Yule acquired and lost a job in a matter of days and probably made himself unique in the annals of the 1930s. He was the only man I ever heard of who was fired from the WPA for laziness. I suppose his brief burst of fame brought on a briefer burst of industry, but his job lasted only as long as his notoriety. Mr. Ewell found himself as forgotten as Tom Robinson. Thereafter, he resumed his regular weekly appearances at the welfare office for his check and received it with no grace amid obscure mutterings that the bastards who thought they ran this town wouldn't permit an honest man to make a living. Ruth Jones, the welfare lady, said Mr. Ewell openly accused Atticus of getting his job. She was upset enough to walk down to Atticus's office and tell him about it. Atticus told Miss Ruth not to fret that if Bob Ewell wanted to discuss Atticus's getting his job, well, he knew the way to his office. The second thing happened to Judge Taylor. 
Judge Taylor was not a Sunday night churchgoer. Mrs. Taylor was. Judge Taylor savored his Sunday night hour alone in his big house, and church time found him holed up in his study reading the writings of Bob Taylor. No kin, but the judge would have been proud to claim it. One Sunday night, lost in fruity metaphors and florid diction, Judge Taylor's attention was wrenched from the page by an irritating scratching noise. Hush, he said to Ann Taylor, his fat, nondescript dog. Then he realized he was speaking to an empty room. The scratching noise was coming from the rear of the house. Judge Taylor clumped to the back porch and let Anne out and found the screen door swinging open. A shadow of the corner of the house caught his eye, and that was all he saw of his visitor. Mrs. Taylor came home from church to find her husband in his chair, lost in the writings of Bob Taylor, with a shotgun across his lap. The third thing happened to Helen Robinson, Tom's widow. If Mr. Ewell was forgotten as Tom Robinson, Tom Robinson was as forgotten as Boo Radley. But Tom was not forgotten by his employer, Mr. Linkdees. Mr. Linkdees made a job for Helen. He didn't really need her, but he said he felt right bad about the way things turned out. I never knew who took care of her children while Helen was away. Calpurnia said it was hard on Helen because she had to walk nearly a mile out of her way to avoid the Yules, who, according to Helen, chunked at her the first time she tried to use the public road. Mr. Linkdees eventually received the impression that Helen was coming to work each morning from the wrong direction and dragged the reason out of her. Just let it be, Mr. Link, please, sir, Helen begged. The hell I will, said Mr. Link. He told her to come by his store that afternoon before she left. She did, and Mr. Link closed his store, put his hat firmly on his head, and walked Helen home.